guys, this is Free Food for Thought, a student-run, student-focused podcast here to feed your curiosity. I'm Shivani. I'm Skip, and today we are thrilled to have Marianne Haverhill with us. Marianne Haverhill supervises a team that works with more than 500 stakeholder groups in the implementation of Propel LA. Previously, Hill served from 1987 to 2016 as the president and CEO of MEND, Meet Each Need with Dignity, the largest and most comprehensive poverty relief agency in the San Fernando Valley. Hill is the recipient of the 2017 Star of the Valley Award in Leadership, the 2013 Center for Nonprofit Management Leadership Impact Award, and several other commendations. She's been an adjunct instructor in nonprofit management at the USC Price School of Public Policy. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. We like to begin each of our interviews by asking our guests to share some inflection points in their lives or pivots or changes in their professional or personal life that really led them to where they are now. Uh, could you share a few with us today? Sure. Well, I actually majored in music in college oh, and wow. I still love to sing. Um, but even in college, I realized I probably wouldn't make that a profession. So I thought for a while that I wanted to be in communications and public relations work. Well, while I was in college, I w went to Seattle Pacific University and did a lot of uh, volunteer work with inner city children. And based on that, I was hired, um, we lived in Northern California, I was hired by the Salinas Volunteer Center to run a program similar to Big Brother, Big Sister. And working at this volunteer center, I had the opportunity to work with every nonprofit in town. And I thought, this is what I want to do with my life. And I felt such a strong sense of purpose, um, being able to help people um, on the ground, if you will, and their day-to-day -day issues and concerns and problems and so on. And so later, I went back and got a master's degree in public administration, which at that time was kind of the closest um, closest graduate degree that you could get if you wanted to do human service type work with nonprofits. So um, today, of course, you can get a master's in nonprofit management. But uh, at that point, that was the closest. And it really gave me an eye, a good view of how government functions and public policy and how that impacts issues um, that, that affect um, clients that our agencies serve. So um, that kind of led me on this path, um, worked for a couple of nonprofits, and then was hired as the first CEO of MEND, Meet Each Need with Dignity, which is a multi-service poverty relief agency, and then was there for a very long time. So that was a very significant part of my uh, journey. So could you kind of just get into, for our listeners, how you got started with MEND? Because obviously you mentioned uh, you brought in and, and you made such a great impact there. 29 years, it grew uh, to massive proportions now, uh, helping over 25,000 people um, very frequently. Um, and, and obviously, it's, it's been a big part of your life. Can you just kind of break down how that, sure. how that all occurred? Well, um, I had worked for several organizations in um, volunteer management. And at the time that MEND was, was uh, hiring their first executive director, CEO, uh, it was an all-volunteer group. So they were really interested um, because I had worked a lot with volunteers in program management and those kinds of things, had done some fundraising. And this combination of skills and the ability to kind of um, multiply one's work through um, volunteerism seemed really appealing. So we, we decided um, in my first month there, uh, first couple of months maybe, I interviewed all kinds of people. I interviewed board members. I interviewed uh, because we, we had truck drivers that picked up, donated food mm -hmm. that we gave to poor clients and so on. Everybody from the truck drivers, the board members, everybody in between. And just asked them a lot of questions, including what do you value most about men? What do you think they do best? And, um, you know, what are, so what are some strong things that we you think we should uh, stick to as we move forward. And so um, two things came out. One is that they really loved the fact that they were so volunteer powered. They loved that. And secondly, that we had really low overhead. 
And of course, when you utilize volunteers, your overhead costs are much less. Right. So throughout my tenure, we decided to really hold true to those values and really grew our work by growing our, growing our um, volunteer workforce. Ultimately, when I left um, and for the last several years there, we had about 34 um, paid staff, but we had 5,000 volunteers that gave the equivalent hours of 110 full-time employees. That's incredible. So for every volunteer, they leveraged their work, in effect, uh, with three to four additional FTEs, uh, full-time equivalents, in volunteer time. You know, multiple volunteers, but equivalent hours. Absolutely. Um, and, and to go back to sort of your first answer where you detailed the path um, that, that led you to nonprofit work and, and human service work, uh, as an undergraduate, and especially at Claremont McKenna, we're lucky to have an, an incredible government department. Um, but when we have things like career fairs and things that, that basically allow us to see you know, future opportunities once we do graduate, there's always an absence of nonprofits mm. or, or sort of human service-based work. Um, but there's always uh, quite a bit of presence, maybe an over-presence of finance, uh, mm -hmm. um, investment banks, consulting firms, things of that nature. Mm -hmm. uh, how do you see... Uh, the steps that need to be taken to really merge that gap where you're mm. you're really getting talent from the undergraduate pool. It's a great um, a great question. Um, we often, I shouldn't say we always did this, but often would um, actually extend opportunities when we had openings at MEND, and they didn't happen that often, but when we did, we'd often extend those to volunteers that had worked with us mm -hmm. um, that we knew had a good track record and did really great work. And often they were had been students, you know, that, that we later hired after they graduated, sometimes when they were still going to school, depending, <laughs> on, the, depending on the job. Um, so volunteering is a good place to, to start. I think probably nonprofits, because every nonprofit, I mean, certainly there are large organizations. If you think about the Boy Scouts or the Red Cross or other nonprofits that are all over the place and have, you know, hundreds or thousands of staff, depending on the organization. Um, but many nonprofits are, you know, very local and they're pretty busy fulfilling their local mission. Mm -hmm. And so, and because they often don't have many job openings, they're probably not thinking about going to career fairs. It may be that um, in terms of a job fair, if there is a consortium of nonprofits in this region, in, for example, that, that might be a good place to start and encourage them to, Absolutely. You know, to come to a fair. Sure. And then in terms of, uh, you know, broadening the scope into representation, uh, I was reading a statistic while I was researching for this interview from Fast Company, I believe, that was incredibly shocking. 75% of the nonprofit field may be female, but only 45% of women move up to become CEOs. Mm -hmm. Can you speak more to your own journey um, mm -hmm. into one uh, sort of leading the path into female representation on the executive C-level suite, uh, mm -hmm. but also, you know, the, the hurdles that you had to overcome to, in order to sure. do so. Sure. Well, I actually started as an executive director right. pretty young. Right. <laughs> That's fair, so, which is quite and, unique. And I think partly because um, they knew they, they didn't have a big budget and they knew they could afford me, but <laughs> that was part of it. <laughs> However, um, I think on this, so, you know, nonprofits are pretty broad. So you have nonprofit museums and mm -hmm. you have nonprofits that are um, animal rights groups and you have nonprofit social service agencies and nonprofit educational organizations and so on. So I would say within the social service sector, there probably are more women that are, are CEOs. I, I can think of a number of my colleagues who are women, okay. not all, but you know, certainly a number of them. So it kind of depends even within the nonprofit sector, right. if there's more men or more women. Um, the statistics, statistics show though, that typically men do make more money um, than, than women CEOs in the nonprofit sector. So, so going back to, to men, 
Land and, and Men's Mission, um, something we've seen recently from Mayor Garcetti, uh, and actually in recent days, um, has, has been his interest in, in addressing the homeless, homelessness crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, recently uh, touting a state bill to fund more, more funding exactly for that, for that issue, for more pu- public housing. Um, but we're curious. Uh, it seems like most of the efforts have gone into that uh, sector of private or, or crisis housing, excuse me. What, where do you see the role of other uh, important uh, places, areas that need to be emphasized, such as substance abuse, domestic violence support, uh, broader mental health? How do you see those playing in? And do you think there's been enough of a focus on those in addition to uh, to crisis housing? Sure. I think homelessness has become um, one of those top line issues that um, has drawn finally, for, you know, for many of us in the nonprofit spe- sector, we've been crying out for years saying we need to do more for our homeless population. And those of us in the nonprofit sector and in government, the missing piece was business. But business has really stepped up in recent years. And so when we passed as a region um, Prop H and HHH, um, both of them were by significant majorities. And the list of endorsers included many major business groups. Um, so I think if, if I could ask, yeah. what do you think that that point in which they decided to get on board and address this issue was? I think there's many levels. One okay. is the homeless homeless problem has become so visible. It's really impacting businesses and their ability to, to do their business. Understood. So that's part of it. But I think there's also a realization that um, people living in poverty are not um, spending much at at Walmart. They're not spending much at Food for Less. They're not buying insurance from your insurance agency. They're not opening bank uh, bank accounts at your uh, savings accounts or bank accounts at your bank. They're not contributing to our economic vitality mm-hmm. because they can't. It's you know, their cost of rent in this region is so high compared to income that they just can't. They have very little ex- expendable income. So, I think business finally realizes that they really need to do something about the poverty problem and homelessness is the most visible piece of that. Now, in this new plan that's been approved by the county, um, it's a very cohesive plan that's uh, where there's shared partnerships between the city, the cities plural, not just the city of LA, but all the cities, uh, county, nonprofits, faith-based groups, and so on. And they're actually all doing their part, and they're working in collaboration, uh, which is really phenomenal. Um, and so they're not duplicating efforts. But um, but I, I think um, within these strategies, they actually do have a strong mental health component, domestic violence component. They have very specific strategies for families that have experienced domestic violence and, and risk homelessness, for example. Okay. So I think a lot of those services are being uh, assisted through some of this homeless funding. Although, to your point, certainly we could always use more funding for these services as well for those that don't aren't homeless, but are in fact mentally ill, for example. Absolutely. Um, and, and to that end, you, you spoke briefly on the volunteer model. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you see that needing to, to go in terms of, especially with the new efforts that do merge um, mm-hmm. and, and are really at the nexus between, you know, business and mm-hmm. government and, and sort of the, the standing of the nonprofit, mm-hmm. how can we integrate the volunteer model to have more effect to, to meet the needs mm-hmm. um, that are, that are uh, what you really address uh, and what MEND addressed for so many years? Sure. Well, I think it's it's partially exposing people to um, critical need. And, you know, because for many of us, we live in communities where there aren't many homeless right. or um, we work in businesses where we don't see the homeless or deal with the homeless as, as one example. Uh, at MEND, of course, we brought in, you know, thousands of people from the business sector, from academia, from the health sector and so on to, to work with our clients. Mm-hmm. And they got to see up close and personal um, and, and realize these are these are my neighbors. You know, they live not that far from me that are really struggling. 
Um, but I, I saw, I read about a recent, recently read about another model where um, the Skid Row Trust for Trust for Housing did a project with the Central Cities Association, which is about 400 businesses and trade associations and so on. But it was a day where they shared together and um, they did projects together. So they did some gardening together. They did some meditation together. They did a mosaic workshop together. Several different things throughout the day. And so these residents, these homeless residents mm -hmm. living now in supportive housing, were interacting with these business people. And it gave them a chance to kind of see the world through the other's eyes. And right. I think those kinds of opportunities are really life-changing and, and really informative. So we focused a lot uh, on your work with MEND, but mm -hmm. obviously in 2016, uh, you, you did leave that position to mm -hmm. now uh, head up Propel LA. Mm -hmm. So we're both fascinated by Propel LA, and can mm -hmm. you just give our listeners a, a sense of what is Pro Propel LA and, sure. and what does it do? Well, we rebranded. Um, this was the Strategic Plan for Economic Development for LA County, and right. it was such a long name <laughs> that we <laughs> rebranded it. Yes. Um, so Pre Propel LA is the, the new name. Um, but basically, we're implementing this strategic plan, and it's it's not really run by the county. It's actually a nonprofit that's that's uh, spearheading this effort. But we involved more than 500 stakeholders that rep in the planning process that represented government, business, labor, uh, academia, ac education, uh, the nonprofit sector, philanthropy, mm -hmm. and so on. All those people were at the table in these 26 focus groups, and they came up with a lot of the strategies and objectives that are part and the goals that are part of the plan. And many of them um, shared with us um, the, the, the goals that they had for their own organization or their own sectors, and those are now part of the plan. In the plan itself, we, we decided to only put um, strategies that were broadly, that, that that consensus, they were consensus built, and so that it was really a broad consensus of people that said, these are things we can work on. Certainly, there's a lot of strategies that we would divide us, but there's a lot. There's 106 strategies in this plan that we actually agreed on. Mm -hmm. So let's focus on those and do something. Mm -hmm. So it's very exciting at this point because we're um, our team is meeting with a lot of these stakeholders to see how things are going and reporting on those on our website and our social media. Linking up, sometimes there's an organization that is doing great work and they have a resource, another organization that has a need, getting the two of them together, doing a lot of that kind of matchmaking. Um, we're finding some gaps in the plan. We're developing projects where we can kind of help fill those gaps. But the underlying motivation behind all of this is to create greater equity. Absolutely. We know in this county there's the growing gap between yep. rich and poor. And what does it take to lift people out of poverty into middle-skilled, middle-wage jobs, which is really where we need to go. The, the middle class is shrinking. We need to expand it. So that means we have to lift those in the, on, the, on the lowest end. Interestingly enough, um, BizFed, which is this um, large business organization, uh, like 370-some thousand businesses throughout the county, uh, recently announced that they are working on a strategy to lift a million people out of poverty. Oh, wow. This is a business group. Right. That's incredible. I, I got to tell you, the poverty spaces I've been in for many years, right. we wouldn't have heard that five years ago. <laughs> But now we're hearing it. And so I think collectively we're realizing as a region that we it's really important for all of us that we do something about the poverty problem mm -hmm. and as well as the homeless as a, a right. subset of that larger problem. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we only have time for one more question. Okay. Um, and it's a question we ask all of our guests and is what is your personal definition of success and what advice would you give students in defining success for themselves? I think success is finding your niche in life. And it doesn't always happen the moment you graduate from college. <laughs> uh, it didn't for me. Right. And I worked in several jobs before I finally kind of said, this is what do I want to do with my life. Um, and having a sense of purpose, whatever that is, um, it could be that it's in business. It could be that it's you know teaching. It could be that it's nonprofits. It could be you know, many, many different things. But having a sense of purpose that you are making a difference for people, 
Um, for me personally, having worked in poverty issues for a long time, making money wasn't wasn't the biggest um, success factor for my, <laughs> in my line of work. Um, but really having impact, you know, on people's lives and and seeing that impact being multiplied and and growing um, in terms of our ability to meet needs, not just not not just the fact that we're serving more people, um, but just that we were able to actually meet you know critical human needs was very fulfilling. And now in this newer work, it's actually having this regional perspective and being able to say we're doing these we're fulfilling these strategies that are really having a positive impact in many different ways. I mentioned poverty, but certainly it's also improving our environment, building more housing, um, creating more, you know, um, trade, all kinds of things that impact our, our life together as a region. Absolutely. Um, well, that's that's incredible. And thank you again for joining us. Um, unfortunately, that is all the time we have for today. To all of our listeners out there, remember to stay hungry. <laughs>